Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. I'm your host, John Henry Weston, and very pleased to bring you today an interview with Michael D. O'Brien, famous novelist, author, painter, and speaker. And uh, stay tuned. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, John Henry. Very glad to be here. Stay tuned, my friends. It's going to be a great show. And let's start off, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Michael O'Brien, for those of you who may not know, is, uh, um, well, I'd love to start with a great friend, and a great friend of LifeSite. He's also a very faithful brother, who has been an exemplar to me personally, but to many, of the faith. And uh, he's got an incredible conversion story. I would encourage you all to get the book by Clemens Cavallin, put out by Ignatius Press, the biography of Michael Bryan called On the Edge of Darkness. Edge of Infinity. Edge, edge, excuse me, Edge of Infinity. We try to avoid the darkness. <laughs> Absolutely great. And um, that's, uh, that's wonderful. We are not going to cut that out in post, but we'll probably cut this comment out in post. Um, but also... Um, his, uh, but also his novels. Um, probably Michael is best known for his work called Father Elijah. Father Elijah is a, is a novel, part of a series he did, um, and it's out by Ignatius Press as well. It was considered for a film. It's been translated into a dozen languages, I believe. And uh, just an incredible work. Which, uh, which really speaks to what we're, what we're going to be speaking about today as well, um, and probably uh, my allusion to On the Edge of Darkness. So <laughs> anyway, um, but beyond that, uh, Michael is a very well-respected and celebrated painter. Um, if you read his book, you'll realize how he got into that as well. Um, and his paintings adorn many churches throughout the world because it's a, it's a form of sacred art um, and really in the style of um, sort of a, what would you call it, a modern... Um, a kind of a neo-Byzantine, but some modern dimensions to it. Right, but in the style of icons, right? Yes, it's foundationally iconographic. Right, and so Michael liked iconographers or writers as they call it, right? Yes. Um, praise with his painting as well. So um, there's, a, there's a very rich um, element of, of Michael's life there as well. Uh, but also he has been, uh, in addition to an author of novels, an essayist. In fact, the latest two books that are coming out of the sort of 30 titles or so that have already been published by Mr. O'Brien uh, include The Apocalypse, and also the family and the new totalitarianism. Uh, there's also a book coming out on the, the sexual abuse crisis, which uh, Michael's authored with a famous German writer, Gabriele Kubi, as well as with Cardinal Gerhard Müller, who was uh, just previously the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in the Vatican. So, Michael, as, uh, as we begin, let me ask you about some of the, uh, well, about your recent book, you, you, you entitle it here, um, The Apocalypse, and you have commented on 
the fact that we are at or have begun the dawn of the great apostasy. First of all, if you can explain what is the great apostasy and why do you think that we are seeing it now? Um, apostasy, as distinct from heresy, apostasy is a rejection of um, the entirety of faith. If you look in the Catechism of the Catholic Church or the Code of Canon Law, you will see the, the clear definitions of both heresy and apostasy. But apostasy is a kind of turning away, a wholesale leaving of the Church. And if we look at the condition of the Church, particularly in the Western nations, Western Europe, North America, parts of South America, what we are seeing is an unprecedented falling away, an unprecedented uh, rebellion. Various translations of sacred scripture, I'm thinking here of uh, St. Paul in, in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, he uh, uh, have the word apostasy in various English terms. One is uh, rebellion. But in essence, it's, it's, it's a falling away. It's really, uh, for sheer magnitude, unprecedented in the history of the Church. One of the unique characteristics about the apostasy in our times, although there have been previous eras of, of a great falling away or a great laxity and weakening, what is distinct about our times is that we are under no violent pressure in the developed nations in the Western world to betray the faith, to walk away from it. It is more um, a condition, an interior psychological cosmos, if you will, a condition of interior losing of faith in the living Gospels and in the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ working out salvation history of which we are a part. The power of the world, the Spiritus Mundi, also the Spiritus Diabolus, the spirit of our ancestral enemy, the, de the devil, Satan, has been operative with a new kind of power. The Lord has permitted this as a great testing of mankind. By and large, uh, we are being weighed in the balance and found wanting. Mm -hmm. the, the concept of the great, the great apostasy, <coughs> as opposed to other apostasies in, mm -hmm. in, in history, has a sort of eschatological yes. dimension to it. What is that? Yes, St. Paul says, uh, that speaking, speaking of the question of when will the Lord return, when is he coming back, as he said he would, um, St. Paul cautions that we must not think that he has returned or that he's imminent, that this will not happen until the great apostasy or falling away or rebellion. There's this very prophetic dimension in this because he is looking past his own immediate times, which is the initial evangelical period of the church, the building up of the church throughout the whole world against 
seemingly impossible odds. So what is he saying in Thessalonians and in another portions of his epistles? He is basically looking beyond his own time to the period towards the end where to which Jesus also points in the Gospels when the faith will have spread throughout the world but then there will be a tremendous falling away. St. Paul says that that is one of the signs that the Lord is near, that the Lord is going to act uh, definitively in history, to re-enter history in such a way that no man, no, no human being will be able to deny his existence. They may reject him, they may turn their back away from him absolutely, but they will know what they are rejecting. For the moment, at this point in history, a very large portion of those who have fallen into uh, heresy and apostasy, my sense is that they do not know what they are doing. They don't know who our Lord is. They don't know who they are turning away from. Mm -hmm. But the time will come when they will know, and that will be the moment of choice for mankind, all of us. One of the, one of the things that was said by uh, Cardinal Ake recently, he's from the Netherlands, um, confronting the confusions that's present in the church today, particularly for him it was the, you know, the Holy Father himself for not clarifying the issue around communion for Protestants. And he said um, it made him think of uh, the catechism at number 675, which is yeah. kind of related to this. It talks about a, a false uh, a deception which will overcome mankind in, in a religious deception. Um, yes. How is that then related to this great apostasy? And what do you see uh, not only this, yes, great falling away, but also within the church, a, a massive confusion. Great confusion, yes. Uh, that portion of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is well worth reading by every generation of, of believers in Christ. Uh, it's a great warning, building upon scriptures. Um, the Catechism calls it a, quotation marks, perverse form of secular messianism, which seeks to erect in the place of the throne of God and the authority of the Holy Trinity over the entire universe and over mankind, a false religion. What, what will be the actual nature of that religion? It's hard to say at this point. Will it be an outright New Age sort of syncretism leading towards worship of Satan in its end phase. I think that's probably where it's going. That, that is what St. John's great vision in the book of Revelation tells us. That is, that is the objective of the Antichrist, to lead us to worship Satan. Most of us will fall into that. Those who do fall into it will arrive at that very dark condition, interior condition, not really understanding how they got there, not really understanding 
what they're rejecting and what they have begun to embrace. So, at this stage of history, there is an urgent call for the church to speak with great clarity, with great love for mankind, and great love for the truth, because truth cannot be separated from love. Mm -hmm. There is no love without truth. So, a long way of answering your question. Wherever there is confusion, ambiguity, a cloud of vagueness beginning to dissolve the actual clarity of the living Gospels, the living tradition which imparts life to mankind, wherever that cloud obscures and darkens, we have at least a factor that will contribute to the ultimate delusion which Satan and the Antichrist will bring upon mankind. I am not saying that we can judge the Pope or the Curia. I think we have, a, have to assess things that are said and taught. We have not only a right to do that, we have a duty to do that. Okay, by the light of revelation, by the light of tradition. But we cannot judge motives, we cannot judge, ultimately judge, what only Jesus Christ can judge. However, and I suppose if I could condense all of this into a simple phrase, I would say, in the words of our Lord, stay awake, stay awake and watch, and pray and fast for the church as we stay awake and watch. One of the one of the things you mentioned here about is the 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 grave confusion, vagueness, and so on. The the truths of the church are really meant, in a way, for the simple, for children, such that you know the clarity with which we should be able to understand, for instance, our Lord's own warning that you know if you if you leave your wife and marry another, you commit adultery. And there's no, you know, there's no hard. <laughs> it's a very simple truth, yet it's being clouded today by even even authority in the church and and the clarity around for instance things like that should be i think obvious but things like homosexuality and the practice thereof not that the inclination itself is sinful everybody knows those are temptations like we have temptations of every kind yeah. our lord said you know if you if you look at a woman with lust you commit adultery in your heart and we're all tempted in those ways to defile ourselves, to harm ourselves, and harm principally our relationship with the Lord. But these things, on things that should be so clear, are becoming confused, even for the faithful who go to daily Mass, who are so interested in the faith. Yes. What, do you, what do you make of those confusions, this deep level of confusion, what should be so obvious or simple for the faithful? It seems to me that a, an arbitrary decision has been made for a kind of pastoral approach towards reaching out beyond, beyond the Christian, the truly believing Christian community to, to those who are very wounded or are dealing with profound disorders in their lives or are uh, locked into patterns of grave sin. How do we reach them? Well, I think we cannot reach anyone by giving them anything less than caritas in veritate, that is, love and truth. Uh, the Lord himself says, 
The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. But it is the truth infused with the fire of divine love which will set men's, men free. Not, not a pastoral sentiment or pastoral sensitivity at the price of speaking the truth, the truth that liberates. What judgment can be made on all of this? It is not my part to judge it, but I do not think it will bear good fruit. You, you mentioned uh, in, in one of your essays uh, that we ran in LifeSet actually, um, about a new Pharisaism um, that was actually opening the way to Antichrist. What, what do you mean by a new Pharisaism and what, uh, what do you see in it? Well, living in, in Canada and also traveling a great deal around the Western world, um, the unceasing pattern uh, in homilies, uh, in writings, in many places, I'm thinking particularly of my own country, Canada, but also in America and Britain and Western Europe, is to equate the defense of the truth or the promulgation of the truth, caritas in veritate, with Phariseeism. Okay. What is really being communicated from pastors who take this approach is their own personal ambiguity or ecclesial ambiguity regarding moral issues. In other words, sexual behavior, sexual inclinations. They do not want a judgmental church. And therefore, any voice which arises that says, sin destroys us, sin degrades us, any form of sin that uh, does that is on some level, usually subconscious, a denial of our humanity. And it's also a veiled insult. Pastors who take this approach are basically saying, without words, that you are not capable of living the Gospels. Even with Christ, you're not capable of living the Gospels. I don't know if they even ponder what they're communicating. But the equation of the bearing of the good news out there into the, into the world, the equation of that with the hardness of heart of the Pharisees is clearly a, a terrible fallacy and I would think a new kind of myth. If you look at the Gospels, every time the Lord confronts the actual Pharisees of his times, he is chiding them for their hypocrisy and their lack of love. Unless your virtue exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Elsewhere he says, unless um, you have the heart of a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So is he, Jesus, the savior of the world, positing Love in conflict with truth? No. He is saying, 
I believe, throughout the entire unfolding of his teachings in the Gospels, that love and truth must be lived in totality as a single unified phenomenon. What is the greatest of the commandments? To love the Lord with your whole heart, to obey, obey him with your whole heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The problem in the Western churches, the churches of the Western world, primarily the developed world, is an attempt to separate these two commandments, which Jesus does not separate. Okay. Therein, through that crack, so much of the evils that now afflict us in the modern age and the modern church have poured. 